The reading is from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to have you all with us this morning. As uh, Dave said, my name's Andrew, and I just want to extend my own welcome to all the visitors that we have. I know we've got a lot of visitors here this morning. Uh, as we celebrate the youngest members of our family and just dedicate them to God and give thanks for them. So you're all especially welcome, and even if you're visiting for another reason, you're welcome here, and it's great to have you. As Dave said earlier, Christmas is coming. Uh, for me personally, every time I hear those words, there's a, an anxiety that rises up inside me. There's been a steady stream of sort of packages coming through the door, which are all the things that my wife, Nicole, has been buying. And, and as each one kind of comes through, you know, it just reminds me of, of the fact that I am yet to buy a single present for anyone. But I know there's probably a few people in here, maybe like my wife, Nicole, who, who actually those words, you know, don't bring too much anxiety. You know, they think, I've got this, I've got this sorted. You know, the presents are bought, they're stacked away. And I just think December for you must just be this beautiful time of peace and serenity as you wait for the big day to come and you look at people like me just gradually becoming more and more stressed and flapped, you know. But here at Foundation, we are well on our way to preparing for Christmas. And for the past two weeks, we've been spending our time in the earliest chapters, or the, or the early chapter, chapter one in the book of Luke, looking at a central theme of, of hope, and especially the hope of this promised unborn Jesus who would come into the world. In our first week, we looked at how to have hope, and we looked at the promise of the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth and Zechariah, an old couple who were barren and had no child. And then last week, we looked at how to have hope, as we looked at then the promise of the birth of Jesus, who was given to a young teenage girl called Mary. Nicole and I just last summer past had, had the pleasure of being able to travel around for the first time different parts of of Italy and went to different cities and 
on the odd occasion that I was able to get Nicole out of a pizzeria, we actually were able to visit some culture and see some of the beautiful sights. And I was just struck by how much was dedicated to this woman, Mary. Beautiful churches and basilicas and in, in cities like Florence and Rome, wonderful statues made by world-famous sculptures centuries ago, beautifully portraying Mary and the different facets of her relationship with her son, Jesus. And today we carry on in that, in that story, looking at this remarkable woman. What does Mary do with these promises that she was, that she was given last, that we read about last week, that she was given by God? Well, as we've just had read to us by Lindsay, we see that, that Mary went to visit her family and then she sung this famous song, Mary's song, or the Magnificat, as some of you may know it, which simply comes from the opening lines of the Latin translation of the Bible. And in this short, short but beautiful passage, what I hope that we will see about hope this morning is, is what it does, and specifically what the hope of this unborn Jesus does, the effect it has. We will see three things. We'll see a hope that brings rejoicing, a hope that leads to humility, and then a hope that brings salvation to the world. So firstly, a hope that brings rejoicing. Mary has just been told that we read about last week that she will conceive a son and of his kingdom there will be no end. She has also been informed by the angel Gabriel that Elizabeth, Mary's relative, will conceive in her old age. And Mary had pondered these things and believed them. And then in our opening verses in this morning, Mary arose and, and she went in haste, made this journey to Judah, which was about 90 miles away. So it would have been a grueling journey. And she did this to see Elizabeth and Zachariah. I don't know if you've ever been given a, a bit of news, a bit of news that has radically changed the planned direction of your life, something that has forced you to alter your path completely. I could think of nothing in my own life that even remotely compares to the situation that Mary, this young teenage girl, now finds herself in. And maybe it's as beautiful as they are. Maybe it's the nice nativity scenes played so wonderfully and sweetly by children at this time of year, which can sometimes maybe numb us to the situation that Mary found herself in. A young girl, most scholars think she was between around 15 years old, unmarried, pregnant in a society where this would have been such a great shame upon her and her family, not to mention that in, in her culture, being a young woman in and of itself would have put her pretty low in the pecking order, unfortunately. Her situation was pretty dire. And yet she carries this story. She carries this story of, of something that God was doing in and, and through her. A story that would have sounded just as mad, believe me, back then, as it would to many people today. But she has this story, and, so, and she goes to see her family, wouldn't you? She goes to see her relative, Elizabeth, who had also been given this promise of a child by God. And I love this scene. As Mary walks in the door, you can picture it, and she calls out her voice, and Elizabeth hears her voice called out, and, she, and we read there that Elizabeth feels the unborn child in her own womb leap with joy. And Elizabeth herself then is, is filled with the Holy Spirit and she rejoices. We read, she exclaims, blessed are you among women, Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And we know from verse 36 that we had read to us last week that, that Mary was initially spoken 
to by the angel, and she was told that Elizabeth was going to have this child, and she was already in her sixth month. And so Mary's clearly left for Judah straight away, made this journey. And so here we have these two women, Elizabeth, who was, who was well into her third trimester, and, and Mary, who was so early in her pregnancy that probably a modern-day ultrasound wouldn't have been, been able to see the baby Jesus inside her. But as Mary walks in that door, the presence of Jesus, even in such a small form, causes the Holy Spirit to be poured out, causes Elizabeth to rejoice, It causes the baby inside her to leap for joy. The unborn John the Baptist, the child inside Elizabeth, the man who would one day call on people to make way for the Lord, to repent and be baptized, who would say that he isn't even worthy to tie Jesus' sandals. He is moved by Christ's presence before he is even born. It's the effect that Jesus has, even even as an unborn child, so small that Mary probably wouldn't even be able to feel him kick yet, yet already his presence brings rejoicing to people's lives. That's how special, how powerful, how great this man was. And we see this same response then in Mary herself, this response of rejoicing. Look down at verses 46 there. At the start of her song, she sings, "'My soul magnifies the Lord.'" And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her whole self is is taken up in praise for what God has done. She can't help but sing out this song to him. This song, so similar in many ways to Hannah's song, which which you can read about back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah, another woman in, in the Old Testament who had been barren and given this son by God. And you can imagine Mary on her journey to Judah, the 90 miles, reading these verses in in Samuel, reading Hannah's song, pondering them, and then writing her own version, rejoicing in God's goodness to her. And I want to ask you the question then this morning, have you experienced this kind of of rejoicing in your life? This, This this joy, this rejoicing, it's not, it's not just for Mary and Elizabeth. It's not simply just because Jesus is there. In many ways, we're actually in a, in a better position than they were even at this stage. As we know of, of all that this man Jesus went on to do once he was born, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. And I want you to see this morning that this ability to rejoice and to have hope in Jesus, the Messiah, is for you this morning. It's for you. It's not, it's not a, a distant, far-off hope. It is for you. It's relevant today, right here and now. And yet for, for many in this room, I'm sure, rejoicing will be hard. Certainly at times we all know that rejoicing is hard. Life circumstances has maybe robbed you of your joy, physical or, or mental health difficulties, grief over a loved one, which can hit home for so many at this time of year as they see the empty seat around the table. Family difficulties, financial worries, which again are compounded when the Christmas credit card needs paid. And yet as Christians, we firmly believe that this message of hope, this message of hope that we read about at Christmas that causes Mary and Elizabeth and her unborn born child to leap for joy. It's available for you today, no matter what your circumstance in life. If you're you're someone here this morning who 
who maybe wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you don't know where you, you stand with all these things, can I just say again that you're so welcome here. Maybe you're here to celebrate the, the dedication of, of these young lives this morning. And again, I just want to say that this invite of hope, it's open wide for you this morning. Don't get me wrong, the gospel that we love, the gospel of Jesus, it doesn't promise happiness all the time. It doesn't promise a lack of suffering, but it can promise hope in your life. Why not look into this further this Christmas? We would love to chat to you after the service, maybe come back to our carol service in a couple of weeks. You see, we all need hope in our lives. Each and every one of us needs, needs this life-changing hope. So look to the hope of the promised child who promised to come into the world to save you. Look into this further. Ask the question. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I, I wonder if, if someone could, could be a fly on the wall for, for a period of time in your life, if they could look into the life of our church or, or wherever else you, you normally worship, would they say that we're a people marked by joy? Would they say that we are a people who, who regularly rejoice in God's love towards us in and through Jesus? Please don't hear me wrong. Again, I don't mean that we just pretend to be happy all the time. We have a superficial happiness. We put a mask on and, and pretend everything is okay when we come to church when we know it isn't. The Bible is clear that, that we will suffer. And as a church, we are called to both rejoice and to weep together. But on the whole, are we a people who are able to recognize the unfailing truths of what Jesus has done for us and rejoice in him? Truths that, that, that do not change no matter where we are, no matter what we find, situation we find ourselves in life, are we able to rejoice in his steadfast love through the peaks and troughs of life? Or are we more characterized by our bickering, our bitterness, our pride? Let's be characterized by our rejoicing as a church because we have this great hope. Let's hold firm to this hope. Let's know it in our hearts and let's rejoice this Christmas as we celebrate it. A hope that leads to rejoicing, which leads us on then. A hope that, that leads to humility. I want to suggest that the hallmark of any true believer should be what we see happen in this passage to both Mary and Elizabeth. We see rejoicing and then we see humility. There are two key signs that, that someone has come to know the life-changing power of Christ in their lives. Firstly, a, a joyful response, an ability to praise God for all that he has done, but then also a, a humility, an ability to say, I can't believe he saved me, me of, of all people. I cannot believe he has done this for me. And we see this response in both of these women in our passage this morning. Look down there at verses 42 to 44. Elizabeth says to Mary, again, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I love this response from, from Elizabeth. How easy it would have been at this stage to allow jealousy and, and bitterness to grow in her heart. If I think and look into my own heart, I know how easy this would be. As, as you look at Mary and, and you see this seemingly greater gift that has been given to her, by God, and yet there isn't a hint of this with Elizabeth's response to Mary. 
She said, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is that child that you carry. And then she follows it up with this question, why me? I can't believe that you've come to me. Realize that Elizabeth already calls this tiny, unborn Jesus her Lord. Before he has said or done any of the acts that we now know he has achieved for us, this woman humbles herself before the promised king. Why has the mother of my Lord come to me? I love this response. And yet after receiving these words of blessing from Elizabeth, Mary herself shows no signs of of the pride and the privileged gift that she has received from the Lord. And she shows these same traits of, of rejoicing and humility. Look at the start of her song again from verse 47. She says, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The Roman Catholic Church's doctrine of of the Immaculate Conception holds that Mary herself, from from the point of her own conception and through her whole life, remains sinless. And whilst there are clearly many references in this passage to to how blessed Mary was by God, we hold, as Dave showed us last week, that this blessing blessing was, was given to Mary entirely of God's grace. It wasn't earned. It wasn't in response to anything particular that, that she had done. And as we read Mary's response, we see that Mary herself didn't even see herself in those terms. She calls God her Savior in verse 47. She recognized that she herself needed saving. She recognized that this favor and this blessing from God was entirely of His grace. And we hold firm to this as as a church that every person, every person in this world no matter how good, no matter how great they look, no matter how bad they look, they all need rescuing from a good God, all but one who currently sat in in Mary's womb. And so Mary saw herself and, and she recognized her humble estate, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. There's a clear sense of wonder in the fact that God would do such a thing for someone like her. A teenage, we all know who Mary was, but, but back then she was a, an unknown teenage woman from an unknown, unspectacular town called Nazareth, and she gives all the praise to God. She can see this. She can see how amazing he's been. Holy is his name, she sings. My soul magnifies him. There's no place for pride or posturing in a believer's heart. Timothy Keller, in his wonderful short book called A Hidden Christmas, I've got it here. I feel like I'm kind of doing a book review here, but um, it's, it's a wonderful book, um, and I'd encourage anyone who's looking for something short and fairly easy to read this Christmas um, to, to get a copy of that, maybe on Amazon. It's just so faith-building as, as he looks at the Christmas story and brings it, brings it to light. And maybe if you're not a believer here as well, you know, you could read that, and it would just be a wonderful introduction to the Christian faith. But in a section of that book, speaking about Mary's faith and humility in this passage, Timothy Keller says this. He says, I would go so far to say that this perennial note of surprise is the mark of anyone who understands the gospel. 
what is Christianity? If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, believing a certain creed and living a certain kind of life, then there will be no note of wonder and surprise about the fact that you are a believer. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? You will say, of course I am. It's hard work, but I'm doing it. Why do you ask? Christianity in this view is something done by you. And so there's no astonishment about being a Christian. If Christianity, however, is something done for you and to you, then there's a constant note of surprise and wonder. And so if someone asks you, if you are a Christian, you should not say, of course. There's no of courseness about it. It would be more appropriate to say, yes, I am. And that's a miracle. Me, a Christian, who would ever have thought it? Yet he did it, and I am his. The hope of this unborn child into the world will cause us to rejoice and it will lead us to humility. And in the following verses then of Mary's song, she sings of, of how this looks for God, how it's looked in the past, as he will take away from those who are not humble, the prideful, the arrogant, the rich, he will remove them. But to the humble and the hungry, he will raise up, he will give life. Verses 50 to 51, let's read them. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Practically then, as, as Christians, what does it look like for us to be humble before God? And I want to focus then on, on just verse 53 of Mary's song where she says, He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. It is absolutely true that those who are physically hungry, God calls us to provide for them as Christians. And we see through the Old Testament that there was many laws that ensured the poor and the needy among the Israelites were cared for. And as we read then into the New Testament, we see God's character doesn't change. Jesus provides for the poor, and he calls his disciples to do the same. And yet these verses here are clearly not speaking simply about physical hunger and material wealth. God doesn't turn people away simply because they are rich. But it is those who come to God spiritually hungry those who come with, with empty hands, longing to be fed by him. They say, Lord, I've got, I've got nothing to give you. I've, I've done nothing particularly good, but Lord, I need you. I need to receive from you. Everything I have, everything I need is from you. They want to learn. They want to obey. They want to be filled by God. And it is those people that God will pour out hope. He will raise up. He will give meaning and joy in their lives. And so to hunger before God, I think, is a sure sign of our humility before him. Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, as part of the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so if you're a Christian here, very practically, what does this look like? To be humble and to be hungry and to receive from God. How, how do we do this? And I think just very simply, we read we pray and we meet. 
We read God's word, we pray to him, and we meet regularly to worship him together. Think of, of physical hunger. I think it's quite helpful to think of this as an analogy. The stomach itself releases hormones which, which circle in the blood and go to the brain and gives us that desire to go to the cupboard to get a snack. And so we know the more that we snack, the more that we eat, actually the quicker the brain does this, the more hungry you will feel. And vice versa, if we fast and if we eat less, actually it'll be hard at the start, but our bodies adapt and we will desire and be hungry less. I think so it is with, with hungering for God. I think the more time we spend in prayer, listening to his word, the more time we, we spend as a corporate body, as a family, worshiping him together, the more and more we will hunger for him, the more we will realize that all we need is, is him in our lives. And likewise, if, if we allow the distractions of life to come in and, and stop us from spending time with him, from receiving from his word, then actually we'll become more self-reliant. We will need him less and less in our lives. And I think if, as we as a church and as individuals are more and more fed and filled by God, then it will allow us and it will fill us to go and feed others, both physically, the poor and the needy, but also the spiritually hungry, who so desperately need God's hope in their lives. Many people personally struggle with spending time alone with God, these, these devotional or quiet times, whatever you may call it, for different reasons. And just a couple of quick practical tips which you can kind of take or leave. Pick a time in your day that, that works for you, a time that you're not going to be distracted. Carve that out. Allow that to be your time with God. There are many apps nowadays which can help you. I use an app called Prayer Mate. Um, which is, is great for sort of organizing your prayers. So if someone comes to me and, and gives me a, a, a prayer request, I can plug it into the app and it brings it up, you know, a certain number of times per week. Maybe you struggle with, with actually the act of, of reading and there's apps nowadays which will read God's word to you and, and give commentaries on that as well. Maybe it's listening to music before you, you, you do those times to still your heart before him. Whatever it might be, find a time that works for you and dedicate yourself to it. Allow yourself to be hungry before God. A hope that leads to humility, which leads me thirdly and finally and, and more briefly then to our final point. A, a hope that leads, or sorry, a hope that brings salvation to the world. A hope that brings salvation to the world. Mary's song shows us this hope that will bring salvation, has brought salvation Read the final two lines with me. Verse 54, she says, He has helped, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What is this about? Well, in Genesis 22, right back at the, the start of the Bible, we, we see how God spoke to Abraham. He said to him, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Mary finishes her song recognizing this promise from the beginning, this promise that, that God had made that through his offspring, all nations of the earth would one day know 
his blessing. And from Abraham to Mary, many centuries have passed. Kingdoms had risen and fallen. Israel had faced exile into foreign nations for their disobedience. And so hope looked pretty bleak for them. The hope of this promise being fulfilled looked unlikely at best, and and many would have doubted that God would ever come through on his promises. Hundreds of years, and yet here in this relatively unknown, insignificant town many centuries later, we have God coming through on his promise as a distant offspring of Abraham was promised to be born into the world. A glimmer of hope, a flicker of light. And when this child had, is born and grown, he would die for both the Jewish people and the Gentiles, other people, people like you and me. The hope of this child would birth a new kingdom, a kingdom that that would spread and has spread its way across many nations, bringing salvation, bringing individual hope to lives. And this is the God that Mary worships. At this early stage of her pregnancy, she believes what God has spoken to her. She recognizes that the fulfillment of the promise made to her people many centuries ago, promises passed down from generation to generation now lay inside her body, and hope was about to be born. I want to finish this morning by saying that this this hope, it's for you this morning. Whoever you are, whatever you have done in your life, whether you see yourself as as a pretty good person, or whether the knowledge of sort of past mistakes and regret fills you with guilt this morning. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, this this hope is for you. It's a joy this morning to have given thanks and to celebrate these young new new lives. And each one of these these children is precious to us and precious to God. And about 2,000 years ago, in a different culture to our own, another child was born. A child that would quite literally change the course of history. The most famous child to ever have lived. A child who would go on to claim to be a king and yet lived in poverty. A child who looked just like any other man and yet performed miracles the likes of which the world has never seen. A child who would die at the hands of the Roman Empire, and yet rise three days later. A child who would be able to wipe your slate clean. Millions, billions of people today and through history have come to know the hope that this man would bring into the world. They would come to rejoice before him, to to praise his name, and then to humbly submit their lives before him. The famous Christmas carol sings, I'm not going to sing it, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. Will you receive the hope offered to you this Christmas? Will you know rejoicing in your life? 
And will you humbly submit yourself before this awesome King? This hope is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this hope that we sing about, that we read about this Christmas. We thank you that this hope is for us. We thank you that this hope is alive, that is active. Lord, that it's changing lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We pray that like Mary and Elizabeth and the unborn John the Baptist, we would be able to rejoice in the presence of Jesus in thankfulness for all that he has done. And I pray, Lord, that, that our lives would be changed, that you would humble us before you and give us joy. In Jesus' name, amen.